Welcome to Building Texas with Justin McKenzie and Summer Babarak, sponsored by the Bernie Kendall County Economic Development Corporation and Das Greenhouse. And now, here's your host, Justin McKenzie. Welcome to Building Texas. My name's Justin McKenzie, and we're joined today by the founder of Startup Kids Club, Amber Waco, all the way from Wimberley, Texas, who came to really share the story that I've known and been a part of for a little while and in in and out ways, and then really see where you're going now, because I suspect the pandemic brought a lot of different changes, dynamics. Your family has changed dramatic through the pandemic, I guess would be the way to say that. I just love what you do. So it's going to be an opportunity to really introduce our listeners to entrepreneurial activity at a really young age, which is something we're hearing from our school district. How do we drive that we're successful in high schools? How do we drive it down? And then how do we get more kids in summertime actively thinking, using their brains and, and then thinking about how to make stuff. Amber covers all of those with kids of all ages. Buckle in. I think you're going to be surprised to hear a lot of the work that's happening in the Hill Country, out of Wimberley, out of Austin, in San Antonio. And Amber, thank you for taking the time to visit with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Where does that story start? Startupkidsclub.com. Startup Kids Club. That's where it starts, but it's evolved and we'll get through all of it. Yes, I have been an educator despite all the things that my family told me about. They're not paid well, true. I've been in the education field forever. Was a teacher. Never thought at all about the things that they teach you to teach until I had a daughter. You know Harper, my now soon-to-be 15-year-old. Gosh. I don't, I don't believe that. She's 5'10 now, by the way. Like She towers over all of us. It's crazy. She was brilliant. I mean, I've got videos of her at two sitting on the couch, singing her colors in English and Spanish, identifying her baby dolls. And she was somebody that her kindergarten teacher sought after to be a leader and a model and all the things because her mom was a teacher. But somewhere along the line, she just shut down. I remember having a conversation with Katie and she tells me, hey, Amber, Harper's not writing. Like, I don't know what's wrong. And I'm like, hey. Harper's a perfectionist. Like she's probably realized she's spelt cat wrong for the past year and she doesn't want to do it until she gets it. Like give her a little bit to build that confidence and she's going to fly off the the seats in no time. And that never happened. And by first grade, uh, she was getting further and further behind. I finally said, you know, if you guys are concerned about her reading and her processing, like, why don't we test her? My boss, my principal, looks at me and says, Amber, you know, we can't do that until we see her fail. Like we have to chart her failing for a long period of time before we do that. And I was like, how are we okay with that? So I knew my rights. I demanded testing and writing. We got her tested. She turned out to be dyslexic. Really from there, I was looking at all the things she needed, getting her the things in place that I'm told from the education brain help her, uh, but it never worked. She exhibited signs of anxiety and depression at a young age and didn't feel like she was good enough because the school told her she was, for lack of a better word, stupid. But one day in second grade, when we were going to have a garage sale, she's like, mom, I want to sell lemonade. And I was like, no, you've done that. You hated it. You've left a mess. You've abandoned me with it. No. And my husband, Kurt, looked at her and he goes, well, Harper, is lemonade all you can sell? And that was the moment that it really shifted my mindset. And I think hers because she's like I guess not long story short she decided she wanted to sell coffee garage sales were in the morning people like coffee in the morning she identified a problem her market and built her idea around that and it was amazing to watch her 
market research and build a brand and all the things that she did literally at eight years old and launched this on my street corner. And the moment she did that, I saw my little girl come to life for the first time in years. And it hit me that, wait a minute, this is what life is like, not what we teach in the classroom. Like, why aren't we teaching kids this? Why aren't we giving them the ability? Because the reality is you're more likely to drop out of school. You're more likely to develop a mental illness having this, but entrepreneurs are largely neurodiverse. They have ADD, myself included. They have dyslexia and high proportions, but their brain, it's their superpower. And I found it as a way to be able to engage kids in the content that we were learning in the classroom and quit my job, started a nonprofit months later. And here we are almost seven years later. Amber, I appreciate that story. I, I, did, I knew Harper was part of the journey I didn't know it was such a catalyst to starting the nonprofit. I met Harper later in that journey and was able to mentor her and see her present yeah. on a stage in front of a lot of people and win a pitch contest. But it was in the format of what you were doing and what you were bringing to Austin. And I've seen him in a great theater there. I've seen him in a great theater in San Antonio. But what is the nonprofit? What did you jump into when you left your job? For us with startup, what I looked at was Harper's journey to a T, what she did, like figuring out what the problem was, developing an idea, thinking through all the components of it from start to finish, and then the execution piece, then moving into the iteration, like getting the feedback from her street side market launch and figuring out how she could make it better. And so we built the curriculum around that entire component because there's a lot of science behind kids and their brains and the way it works we develop a much more meaningful connection to the world around us when we engage in it. Yes, you have people who are auditorial, they hear information and they do better, but largely people, when they engage in something, they're able to remember it longer. They're able to understand it. The whole premise of startup was to put kids in the driver's seat and say, hey, do you have an idea? Like, what do you love to do? How can you take that and develop an idea off of it? And we walked them through each step of the journey over the course of the semester. They would launch their idea at a market that we would put on and then we'd bring them back and then we'd have them reflect on the experience and say, how did it go? And, you know, you would get a little kid who would say, well, I only sold to five people. Well, how do you feel about that? Well, not good. How many people walk in your booth? Seven. It's like, gosh, that's a really good conversion rate. Like, I know tons of people who would like that. How do you think you could fix that going forward? Well, they might not have realized that I was a business. Maybe I need a sign. So we were able to get them to start really using critical thinking to think about how to better their idea or how to even just communicate. As a teacher, we would tell people all the time, hey, make eye contact with me. And it wasn't until they were trying to accomplish their own thing that they would find just how critical that was. It was a large reflection we would get from kids. It's like, I learned you have to make eye, eye contact for people to listen to you. Or I learned that you have to pay bills and that sucks. <laughs> so that was kind of really the way the program started was as this component to get kids to engage in it. I always said we weren't trying to create a million entrepreneurs, but we were just trying to create a million kids who were prepared for the world. And entrepreneurship was just the vehicle we could use for them to be able to understand the broader contact than anything else. Thinking about on-the-job training or in-reality training, almost, they, they you teach them stuff in the classroom, but when they go out and they do it on their own with their own mission, their own incentive, it becomes a lot more exciting. And hearing it from someone like you is different than hearing it from their parents. How do you balance that? How do you get kids into your program? 
So largely it was a lot of word of mouth and what we wanted to make sure that when I launched this was that the program was extremely inclusive and available because I was thinking of not only kids like Harper had learning disabilities, the benefit that they would have there. If your family faced financial barriers, like they wouldn't be able to participate because there was a price tag involved. So um, our program largely, we catered to about 80% of kids through scholarships. And at one point pre-COVID, we were working with the housing authority in Austin because our goal was to help use that as a tool to help break not only the systematic cycle of poverty, but potentially plant seeds with the parents and say, hey, we just gave you 20 bucks. How can you take this 20 bucks and turn it into 100? How can you turn it into 200? And eventually that parent who might have never thought about that as an option would look at that and say, hey, how'd you do that? Well, I just made soap. Great. You want to try? So we could actually plant that seed with parents to get them to be more opportunistic and more tenacious and determined. I don't know if I answered your question, but yeah. largely we just put the program out there and people would come to us. And, and is that mothers coming to you saying, hey, we need this? Is it the kids finding you saying, hey, I'm really excited about something like this? Sometimes mothers, a lot of times, actually, it was men either dads or people who had entrepreneurial business backgrounds that thought that it could be a great thing to add. And we built out startup kind of like a Boy Scout or Girl Scout model so that everything was packaged together. And no matter who you were, you could replicate it in your community if you wanted. And at first you would get these men who are a little nervous to potentially deal with 10 kids. But eventually, I mean, they were hands down the best teachers. Teachers, on the other hand, were the worst. (laughs) But I did find that. It it was such a non-traditional thinking that we were trying to get them to experience that teachers just. Well, it's, it's anything. If your muscle memory on how you've been trained to do it is one way, and now you're trying to do it radically different, it's hard. And empowering the student is, I think, a big shift in how we're thinking about intern programs and getting kids involved because we're recognizing and value that even at seven, eight years old, they have a beautiful mind that is working really quick and has a different set of inputs and experiences. Absolutely. And it's not jaded by the world yet. No, it's not. And kind of on that, I hate to say it, but when you hear people say teaching to the test, we are really bad in our education systems about teaching to test, giving these confines of well, this is a specific amount of information that I need you to learn and have. And this is where you find it that our kids aren't actually thinking outside of the box like that. And so being able at a young age where they've still got all this gray matter in their brain and they're not as self-conscious and like you said, jaded by the world is huge because as you get older, it gets harder and you become more aware of what people think, that you're less likely to make those self-attempt. But these kids aren't. So if we can have them say, like, hey, what problem do you notice in your community? And how can you fix that? Or what do you love? And how can you build your livelihood around that? It's empowering them in a much deeper way that also creates that self-efficacy and value that lasts forever. Well, as we go into the break, I want to have our listeners thinking about seven or eight years of doing this. I bet there's some stories and some kids that have come back around and and you've seen the impact. So when we come back from the break, we'll talk about the impact that you have and and then where you're going with the organization today and, and where people can get involved. This is Justin McKenzie from Building Texas. Today's segment is brought to you by Das Greenhouse. Das Greenhouse is a business incubator launched here in Bernie to serve our local community. Das Greenhouse is a place where you can come to grow your idea. 
Our goal is to make Bernie accessible to people who are looking to grow a business, expand a business, or learn more about what's out there in their community and get involved. Visit us at dasgreenhouse.org or come visit us at 7 Upper Balconies Road, Bernie, Texas. Das Greenhouse. Welcome back to Building Texas. My name's Justin McKenzie. In the first half, we heard a lot about how Amber built Startup Kids Club and what it was doing. And my question going into the break is, you've been doing this for seven years now, and you've seen Harper go from eight to 15. You've seen all these other cohorts that you've worked with really progress into high school age now. Do you have any stories? What, where's the impact and has it surprised you? Many pieces of it. Actually, one, the, the first one I'll tell, we were just talking about this yesterday. We were applying for a grant and it wanted a personal story and it just blew me away. So when we launched, my starting class was fourth, fifth grade. And you know, Jet from Sweet Tooth Sushi, um, he started his first business with me the very first year. So he must have been fourth grade and he hated it. He had a bad breakup with his partner and decided to come back the next year with a new partner and a new idea. And what they were going to do is make this candy sushi and they called it Sweet Tooth Sushi. It was brilliant. It was beautiful. They built a great brand. They quickly became miniature celebrities. By the time that, that this was fifth grade, so by the time the end of fifth grade rolled around and they were graduating fifth grade, they had secured a licensing deal with a big top candy shop in Austin on South Congress. And so they left their fifth grade graduation to go distribute their first order of stuff. Wholesale stuff. Yes. And they maintained that relationship to this day. They still sell there, which blows my mind. Anyways, they stayed with us for years. They worked on it. We'd helped connecting them to people to help grow their idea. Then they decided that they wanted to kind of empower kids to make what they did because what they weren't doing wasn't unique. Anybody could do it. They just built the brand that was great. So they're like, look, we could license this off. They also pitched at a pitch competition for us where they won and built out their website and did some stuff to explore the licensing piece. Jet, think, is going into his senior year next year. Since he's phased out of my program and he's now in the comforts of his high school business program, um, he comes back every year and still volunteers with us. Last year, drove to Wimberley, 45 minutes away, to volunteer for eight hours a day with our kids, which I thought was huge. So I think that's really neat when you get these kids who see such value in it that they become the teachers themselves. I think it speaks a testament of what we're trying to do. But what a story about the early failure, too. Oftentimes we talk about the entrepreneurial journey and everybody says, oh, Elon, know oh, this, so oh, that. And they, they know the wins. They don't see the failures. But for a nine-year-old to hate it and break up with a co-founder at nine, but then come back and do it again and have the success, that resiliency and get up and do it again. We teach it in baseball and soccer. And Absolutely. why not teach it in school and business? Absolutely. My other little story I'll share uh, is this sweet little girl named Sky. And she started a Sky's Cookie Delivery Company. Each month, she picks a different nonprofit that she gives a potential, like a percentage of her proceeds back. And so this is something that in our programming, we talked a lot with kids about is like the financial literacy piece, not only how are you saving the money, how are you investing it, what do you need to spend, but like how you're part of the community and the value of giving back and Maybe it's giving product back. Maybe it's giving time. Maybe it's giving money. I'm a firm believer that if you can instill that 
pre-puberty, when kids start turning inward and becoming selfish, that we can help them have a greater connection to their community and the world around them. Yeah, Sky's been doing this for about 18 months now, and she's donated, I think, over $500 to businesses or nonprofits in the community. Beautiful, heartwarming story. One of the reasons that I wanted to have you on is the work that you do. You don't do it for your career or brand or any of that. We've heard today really where your origin story is and why you continue to pour into these kids, and you're teaching them so much. I mean, we struggle to get adult business owners involved in the right way in their community. I talk a lot about just getting people out to vote is a huge civic responsibility that people don't have time for, or they don't think about, and it's not. So if you've got a child that can think about how to be a better citizen as a child, my great expectation and hope is that that's going to be a better business leader in their small town in Texas in the future. I haven't looked at the statistic recently, which I should, but pre-COVID, the the jobs that the kids that were in fifth grade were going to be working, um, 60% of them hadn't been created yet. And when you look at it from that standpoint, if our kids lack critical thinking, if they lack determination, if they lack enough of the own self-belief that they can do something, we really limit that innovation. And it takes a lot to put yourself out there. I look at myself like that all the time. Like I was never happy in my job, but I did it because that's what they say. And that's how you do it. And I never questioned that. And it took a lot for me to even find that voice to break off myself. Heck, seven years in, I still have massive imposter syndrome. (laughs) Well, it's the, the, the drug of stability that you have in a, in a professional role and with an organization, it's very different than being out on your own and you have to raise for your nonprofit every year. We have to raise for Das Greenhouse every year. That's a different level of urgency and responsibility than just showing up and doing the job. And and I'm not making light of that, but there's a different element in your brain that says how much is in the bank account this week. Absolutely. But then you're also giving back and selfless in the way of you're volunteering, you're visible in your community, you're out and about, and that doesn't drive revenue for you, but it does build the excitement, the understanding and the forward momentum of your organization in a lot of ways. You you mentioned COVID. How did seven years from today, I mean, you were on this bright hockey stick and then COVID hit. And I know that changed a lot. It did. Um, we literally, we had tremendous growth and successes. I mean, I think in the first three years we had reached about 3,300 kids and we had 27 programming locations around central Texas and literally were in the process of expanding to San Antonio. I had participated in a philanthropy and secured some funds for us to do that. We ourselves planned the pitch competition that you talked about that we had uh, in downtown San Antonio as kind of our, our soft launch to showcase what kids were capable of and then say, hey, now, now let's help other kids get there. Our pitch competition was February 22nd, 2020. We all know two weeks later what happened. The world shut down. So that halted everything, not just from a, an expansion standpoint, but a fun standpoint. I was getting calls left and right from promised partners that said, oh, hey, I know we were going to write you a check for 20 grand, but ooh, the schools don't have computers and we got to get a one-to-one computer ratio or we got to put Wi-Fi on the buses. And so we lost almost a hundred grand in three months that we had coming down the pipeline and had to 
reevaluate all the things that we were going to be doing. We had to shut down our physical base since we couldn't integrate with kids. We had to go virtual. And since a lot of our program is built on connection and mentorship, it felt blah, but it was there. Uh, We managed to write out. In that time period where we did online programming, my husband and I relocated to Wimberley to have a baby, pre-COVID baby, (laughs) that just so happened to be born in COVID. And kind of being in that community, started to realize a lot of the discrepancies that were there. And as we came out of COVID in 2021 and started reprogramming in person again, you know, we started with our satellite classes. I really honed in on my community because technically rural, Wimberley is rural. And so we don't have access to a lot of the things that say Austin does. Um, so I let Austin run autopilot and I really focused on trying to identify some ways to support Wimberley. We did programming there and then realized summer camp. Summer camp was an area that there wasn't a lot of options, let alone there wasn't any if you were a family that couldn't afford to send your kids. Academic loss during summer is huge. And we were looking at it from an area of, okay, if we know you're losing three months of academic, we know that child abuse increases, we know one in three of you are hungry, how can we solve all those boxes? And we launched a program called Camp Community, and it was meant to leverage the community to help share their knowledge and resources with these kids while also giving them safety, academic support, meals, and whatnot. And then brought in community members. Like last summer, I taught a parade float building elective. And the kids that took that elective got to design and build the parade float that we drove on the 4th of July parade. And we had somebody teach coding. And then there was a how to build a computer. So they took apart a computer and then learned how to re-put it back together. There was animal safety, how to train a dog. There was a basic cooking class. So just trying to get these kids to engage in the world and around them. Last summer, we had... 363 kids that we worked with just over three weeks and 297 were scholarshiped. This year we're growing that. We'll have 600 kids with 420 earmarked for scholarship. In Wimberley. In Wimberley, yeah. Hayes County. Hayes County. Yeah, crazy to think about, but I don't think a lot of people realize and what I'm, as we talk about it, Wimberley comes off as a really affluent community, but over a third of the families there are on the free and reduced lunch list. So that's a huge issue. And there's a huge discrepancy there, especially in the programming and support for those kids. Well, and we talk about rural Texas a lot. And Wimberley is rural, as is Bernie, surprisingly. Um, And we are an affluent community. But if you look around, I think we're probably in the same. There's a third of them that are on those lists and need the support. And then summer camps and... That's a, an equity issue Absolutely. when you when you start talking about working parents, single parents, yep. then the kids are at home by themselves or the, what can they do? What options are out there? And for me to hear that almost 300 of the 330 are on scholarship, that's incredible. I know. And we had 111 on wait list that we weren't even able to, to reach because we didn't have the capacity. So we, that's why we're trying to grow it this year and stabilize it. And just, just like what we did with Startup, the idea is to be able to package that to take to other rural communities and say, this is how you can actually engage your community. This is how you can literally, we hire certified teachers from the school because teachers need more money. So not only do they know what they need to do, we don't have to train them. They work with those kids already. So it creates this opportunity that's really organic, 
kind of plaguing on my non-traditional education approach, everything's hands-on, everything these kids engage with. And this year we're theming it back to careers, like both college-based and trades. And so everything during the camp is going to be like, today we're going to explore electricity and the math activity and the science and the art. It all involves whatever that career is. So that for these kids from those backgrounds that might not have families who can help them make informed choices about their education, we can help give them options to enter into the workforce. How, how do I get involved? If I want to have your summer camp program at Doss Greenhouse, where am I going to go to find that information? So that would be campcommunity.org. But there's information on both. And being a small team, everything comes back to me. <laughs> so campcommunity.org. Or startupkidsclub.com. Or startupkidsclub.com. You're looking for people to run programs. Mm -hmm. You're looking for donors to support the scholarships for these programs. And and then the call to anyone listening, this can be done in your community. Come out and get involved. Reach out to campcommunity.org. What can you do? How many lives could you change in a summer just giving that impact? So, Amber, I really appreciate you taking time to sit down with us today to come share the story and, and this is why I wanted you to share this story summer's coming yes, all these rural towns need more summer camps more kids activities so let's get a lot of excitement around what you're doing campcommunity.org and Amber thank you for the way you're building Texas thank you this is Justin McKenzie from building Texas today's segment is brought to you by Das Greenhouse Das Greenhouse is a business incubator launched here in Bernie to serve our local community Das Greenhouse is a place where you can come to grow your idea. Our goal is to make Bernie accessible to people who are looking to grow a business, expand a business, or learn more about what's out there in their community and get involved. Visit us at dasgreenhouse.org or come visit us at 7 Upper Balconies Road, Bernie, Texas. Das Greenhouse.